welcome to the Supergirl Supercast. I'm Trishy Matson, And I'm David Schaub. And today we're discussing Season 5, Episode 3, Blurred Lines. Uh, David, take it away with the recap. Nia and Brainy. Brainy is still too much. After suffering and delays, Nia tells him. Brainy thinks he can't change and leaves. Lena and Hope. Lena wants to get rid of evil in the world by doing evil. She is failing again without Lex's help, but she'll be rewriting minds soon. Kara and Lena. Kara tries to repair her relationship with Lena over lunch. Unfortunately, Lena just manipulates Kara into stealing Luther's journals from a military base. I don't think that's what James meant, but Kara does give James a Lex portal watch. Kelly and Malefic. Malefic shapeshifts into Kelly's friend. After much manipulation, Malefic is plugged into Obsidian Tech. Somehow, this resets Malefic's brain so he can now incept. Also, Kelly can now recognize Malefic no matter what form he's in, making her quite the target, so she leaves. Nia and John. Nia helps John discover his lost memories in a dream mind palace. While first, John blames his father for committing the sin of erasing Malefic from all the Martians' minds. It was actually John that did it. William is up to something, but the spiderweb woman gets in his way and needs to be hunted down. But what's he doing, and who's paying him off? Well, we can only hope these questions will be answered at a later point. <laughs> if nothing else, I'm sure this show is going to eventually answer all the questions and all the mysteries because it slowly doles them out over time. Oh, where to start? Well, I want to mention we don't we don't see creepy little girl this time around. Instead, <laughs> Malefic is portrayed by Sean Astin as Pete, Kelly's old army buddy. I doubt they have the budget to have this be more than a one-time appearance by him. And anyway, he's been outed, so there wouldn't be any sense in Malefic appearing as Sean Astin slash Pete again. But it was fun to see him for once. <laughs> I wasn't going to question this in the show last week, but I have to ask, how exactly does Malefic know what Pete sounds like and acts like from a picture? Yes, I was wondering that too. Uh, you know, how does he have any army memories. How does he know enough about Earth culture to try to fake PTSD? Oh, well. <laughs> In some regards, I quite like aspects of those scenes, though, because he wasn't really faking Pete's PTSD. He was just describing his own PTSD mm -hmm. because he was somewhere that did lots of damage and he was somewhere his brain is currently broken and needs help. Like a lot of what he said to Kelly in those lies and lies and manipulations was true for Malefic. I don't know if he would consider it opening up, though. Right. I certainly doubt that he was really revealing his own emotions to her, but you know, I'm not sure if there was any side benefit of emotions or if it just was that somehow having the uh, Obsidian technology rebooted has power to incept. Which, by the way, the power to make other people do what you want them to is not a term I had ever heard incept used as before, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I find it interesting that now we're in a show where the good guy uses glowing red things and the bad guy uses glowing green things. That's right. <laughs> Very countercultural for the uses of glowing colors in such media. But yeah, apparently you read minds and write minds with red and you control minds and bodies with green. Who knew? Well, I guess in this show, green is evil because kryptonite is green. <laughs> that would be consistent. It's on brand. <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, so this whole thing uh, gets us to one mildly blurred line in the episode, uh, whereas Kelly is supposed to do a lengthy, several months long intake process to take new patients, which... In that case, since she just started work at this company, I don't know how she already has full day's worth of appointments. But moving past that, she bends the rules to get her old army buddy friend time for appointment and uh, equipment use after hours. I think bending the rules might be an understatement. I think she's just breaking them. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I wonder if we're going to see any repercussions for that in that she abandons and runs away from the city at the end of the episode. I really want to hope we get a response from Andrea uh, (laughs) in the next episode as to why there was this massive altercation. I mean, I guess Kelly could lie some more and say there's a break in and she was rattled by it. And that's why she needs some leave like a week after she started work. (laughs) It's possible, but it is a bit strange. And uh, if they have any security footage, which obviously no one really does, maybe that would be proven wrong. Because why would you have that? (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know. It's a bad look for Kelly for her first week Mm -hmm. of work. So you're right that she's definitely breaking rules, not bending them. But compared to some of the other lines that are crossed in this episode, (laughs) mm, fairly minor. She was trying to help somebody even if I'm not sure she should be doing psychotherapy on an old army buddy. Let alone Martian war criminal. But hey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she didn't know that. (laughs) I suppose. Probably, I would say, the biggest line, besides William, who we don't know what he's up to, the biggest line crossed here is Supergirl breaking into a government facility to get Lex's old property, his old journals. Oh, and by the way, she just happens to steal a a portal watch while she's there, too. That's just efficiency. First of all, you know, I know that Lena's a private person, but for Supergirl to just blithely accept that that's why Lena won't see a psychotherapist herself and guess her the journals so that she can supposedly do her own uh, healing process, maybe she should encourage Lena to be a little more opened up to a, you know, paid private psychotherapist or something. I don't know. To be fair, this is a psychotherapy session, which actually is supposed to put your memories on a screen in the room. Oh, I'm not saying that Lena should go to Obsidian. Ah. I'm talking about, you know, an old-fashioned talk therapist. (laughs) Without a doubt, (laughs) Lena could do with a talk. I think we all agree on that. (laughs) No, no one should go to Obsidian, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Lena is uh, clearly falling into a a rather horrific trap of blind hypocrisy uh, that she doesn't even seem to notice as she is trying to do lots of good things for the world and she just keeps doing evil. Yeah. Right. Well, Lena's biggest line crossing was last episode where she took over Eve. And by the way, she's now just uh, addressing the Eve shell as hope without any reference to Eve at all. So... I'm not sure why it was even worth taking over Eve with Hope. Well, because she does have Eve's memories, which was a key here. But the problem seems to be with Lena's ability to take things over is it kind of zombifies them. So I don't know if that implies that she does not want an army of humans that are just Hope. Well, she said that she didn't want robots. She just wanted better persons. So... 
Presumably, Eve slash Hope is a special case, and her manipulations on the rest of the of humanity will be more subtle, maybe? That's her plan? That is her plan. And, and yeah, it, it wasn't really stated that, oh, you don't want the entire world to be like me. Like, it would have been nice to get that line if that's really what they meant. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they meant, but it wasn't quite clear to me. Right. Well... I guess until Lena manages to get some kind of revelation, she's just clearly going to be on the side of evil. Mad genius evil, maybe. But uh, but yeah, evil, evil. <laughs> to, to be rewriting people without their permission. Well, in some regards, it feels like we're repeating some of the first season myriad plot mm. with the lots of mind control. Because now Lena is developing mind control and mind rewriting. And Malefic can now do his mind control, which he seems to be able to do to quite a number of people. He certainly knocks a lot of Martians out. So there's a lot of mind control in play for this season. And I'm sure we'll hear more of that from Obsidian North too, because I don't know, maybe Leviathan has a mind control plan too. We're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, maybe it'll be one, although previously uh, Leviathan seems to have relied on blackmail and threats and stuff. And by the way, if Hope has... Eve's memories, Hope definitely could find out who blackmailed or threatened Eve into service at age 16. But we don't go there because they want to do the plot some other way. And Lena doesn't care, apparently. Just that she was betrayed, not why she was betrayed by Eve. Without a doubt, all Lena has to do now is ask, and we could find out everything Eve knew about Leviathan. So so that will happen probably at some point, and this nicely sets that up. Yeah, at some point she'll be reminded, and then they'll move the plot forward with that, I guess. That's story arcs for you. Right. So, yeah, maybe at some point they'll use one mind control thing to counter another mind control thing. I guess we'll have to find out later about that. So speaking of Leviathan, maybe William Day is working for them. Maybe he's working against it. We don't know who the spider tattoo lady was working for, just that she killed a geneticist and apparently was trying to, you know, track and kill other people involved in gene research. There were so many more questions created by this episode than answers. Mm-hmm. Jared is the guy that was talking to Andrea in the pictures, which also opens up even more questions. We have no idea who William's working for. We have no idea who paid for the murder. It, was it possible that this was the bad thing that William was threatening the guy with or not? There's a huge number of open questions now. I would lean towards thinking that William is not Leviathan, because it feels more like whatever he wanted wasn't really benefited by killing off Jordan, and more likely Leviathan was paying off the woman with the spider tattoos to kill people. Right. I didn't have the feel that William himself sent the spider tattoo lady after the geneticist to kill him just because he didn't kowtow to William in that one interview. Yeah, absolutely not. I don't think so. Speaking of which... I think 38-year-old, healthy, genius geneticist dropping dead in a nightclub bathroom is definitely at least brain candy. There's no way that that shouldn't have been a story for CatCo, even if... William said it wasn't news. Uh, it's it's still brain candy. I'd be, I'd be interested in you know 
what happened to this guy. Especially with the, the kicker that his gene study was trying to promote long life. Right, exactly. It definitely, it, it has oomph to it. Yes, at least a little sparkly. Now, Andrea could have spiked the story just because she hates Kara and wants to crush her in anything Kara wants to do. Or she could be working for somebody. But yeah, William probably just didn't want any questions asked about what happened there. I think so. I don't know if he suspects what killed the guy. Yeah, that we cannot answer. We just do not have enough information yet. Oh, by the way, another reason, hopping back to the... uh, stolen stuff from the military base. I don't think that giving Lex technology to anybody is a good idea, uh, especially someone that you care about with the portal watch, because who knows what kind of tracking or other things Lex has built into that, you know, who could tap into it and use it to follow Kelly, which I bet will happen. Or if you don't tap at the right number of times, it just kills you. I think they could easily do something like that, but I don't think they will. I think they're going to treat it like a fairly simple tool. I don't quite understand how you actually control where it portals to and from, so I would think you'd use it in a pretty dire emergency. But without a doubt, Chekhov's portal watch will get fired. (laughs) So it's just a matter of when. We should pull back to the Andrea, William, and Kara scene in the office. Partially because I have a point, but mostly because I just love Andrea's lines. People love to read about death. It reminds them that they're alive. (laughs) Show me some sparkly death. (laughs) Without a doubt, we're really not supposed to like her. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sparkly celebrity death. She's, She's a bad person. Possibly just a bad evil CEO type possibly tied into Leviathan or some other evil thing, but certainly bad enough all on her own. She gives the line, knowing the dead person does not make the death interesting. And the thing in this scene, which the show doesn't get a reaction for, is we don't see Andrea responding to Jared's death. As far as we know, Andrea knows Jared. And there's no response there because, again, Jared and Andrea were the photos that William was looking at that he freaked out about in the previous episode. Right. Well, then that would give a little weight to maybe the idea that Andrea is involved with whoever had him killed. And so she knew. And that's why she wasn't surprised. That would be my leaning at the moment. Mm -hmm. I would bet that William is not on the Leviathan side. He might have other issues, but whatever. But I currently still will lean towards Andrea being on the Leviathan side. I think realistically... Andrea is going to need to be really bad because it's the only way Alina's going to look okay in this season. <laughs> this is a little more fuel to that argument that uh, Andrea is all on the Leviathan side. Right. Not that we know what Leviathan is or anything. That is still shrouded in mystery. They're bad. Bad. <laughs> They're out there doing bad stuff. <laughs> oh, one point earlier uh, about Nia before they get into the argument. When Nia is trying to link up with John Jones's mind to help him deal with his stuff, he gives her some tea with uh, Martian herbs in it that he says will help them establish a link. And he says, but it may taste kind of strange. And she drinks it and grimaces. And But then she says, no, it's great. It's not just that Nia is bad at romantic relationships. 
It's that she apparently has a really strong desire to lie to please other people and make them think that she's happy even when she's not. She definitely does seem to fail to communicate negative responses. She does not wish to criticize. And and maybe we just haven't seen that as much before. But yeah, it does seem to be maybe a problem. And in this case, I don't think I think it's harmless. But obviously with Brainy, it is far more problematic. Thinking back, she also lied to her family about having powers to try to fit their expectations and not disrupt what they were expecting for her sister. Yeah, maybe it is a long-term trend with her that she's not just bad at romantic relationships, or at least communication in them, but that she, you know, has a pattern of lying to please people and meet their expectations. So they're being somewhat consistent in that regard, and that's currently biting her. She does have limits to her wonderful mature ability to communicate, and that's okay. Maybe she'll learn from all of this too. One can only hope. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Mia and Jean, she does, as Jean had hoped, manage to dig deeper than Kelly had been able to take Jean with the Inceptioned Mind Palace stuff and reveals to him the truth about what happened. This show now has given us three different people with three different technologies in order to put people into mind palaces where you can examine yourself. It's a very introspective show, this is. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah, which does seem a little excessive. <laughs> well, this is also an entirely new ability from Nia. The only thing we saw like this before, I think, was Nia talking to her mother. Mm-hmm. This seemed like a very a pretty notable change in her, her uh, abilities. Her abilities seem very differently used in this episode than previous because she also has rather than precognition, a sense of something that was going bad with Kelly in real time. Mm -hmm. And she also does a mind palace thing where she just gives John memories while they're both standing up and conscious. So there's a bunch of kind of weird uses of her power where they're kind of using her somewhat more generically than they maybe have in the past. Yeah, which is bad in one way. But on the other hand, I'm happy to see them using her mind powers as mental abilities rather than channeled into bursts of energy that she fights hand-to-hand with. The glowing blue-green whips don't really do it for you? (laughs) They do not. (laughs) No, uh, as I believe I said at the time that they started doing this, I am happier with her being different from all the punchy-punchy people and still you know, having abilities that are that help the team rather than just another fighter. So they enter the mind palace. There's this very nice little lantern on why are they not building up CGI models of all of these different characters, which is they can't afford it. <laughs> and John asks why they're all human, which I thought was maybe a little rude ignoring Nia's mixed heritage because maybe they all just look Naltorian. <laughs> Not human, but oh well, whatever. It definitely made the scenes cheaper to make. Yeah, I did like that lantern they hung on it. That was pretty funny. <laughs> but from a technology perspective, I'm assuming they digitally de-aged John in those scenes? Yeah, that's what I assumed too, and I thought they did a good job of it. He he still looked like himself, but a little younger, thinner, more open somehow, um, although 
Dallas, that was the acting rather than de-aging tech. Perhaps. But yeah, for the show, which sometimes is having issues with its own budget, I was quite impressed for that uh, de-aging yeah. for a TV show. Obviously, that software has gotten um, a lot better and a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. I assume so. But yeah, it looked, it looked smooth. The only reason I noticed it at all was that, you know... The resemblance was too good for it to have been just a younger actor playing it. Yeah, absolutely. In the Dream Palace, we learned that not only did Malefic became a traitor to the Martians at some point, but he in fact has always been, as it were, a mutant and had a different version of Martian telepathy than the rest of the green Martians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was not able to link into the hive mind, and the other kids made fun of it, which presumably, even if you can link into a hive mind, it does not make you a mature, caring, empathetic person, at least not all the time. Well, to be fair, as far as we can tell, John's father's solution is to just lock Malefic in a room and abandon him there for a decade or two. Right, and telling him that he'll pray for him every day, which I don't really understand why he couldn't have just been taught to control his powers and not lash out at other people. It's a little unclear. I was a little shocked by the assumption that basically he was just locked up for most of his life, and maybe it just wasn't going to work and they could tell that, or he didn't have any control i i don't know it it seemed a bit rough and to me it seems that john's father really is the one to blame for a lot of this i don't know if i buy why malefic is so pissed off at john because all that john did was i mean he did help lock him up at the phantom zone sure but he seems to be upset at john for the mind wipe of the hive mind and i don't know if i really see why Malefic would care because he was never part of it. He was never part of the culture. It was done to him while he was in the Phantom Zone, so I'm not actually even sure why he would know it happened. Hmm. I mean, John is certainly the last Green Martian around to blame. Yeah, yeah, right. I also don't really understand, going back to what you were saying before, why erasing your memory of a person and even the culture's memory of a person would be worse than torturing a person by putting them in solitary for a decade. But maybe that's a Martian cultural thing that I just don't get. (laughs) I think they have set up Martian culture to be highly race memory centric. There's a hive mind Mm -hmm. and there's a thing where basically people will take other people's memories for them before they die and they live on in other people. Like I buy that if you have the biological ability to preserve memories and maintain them as part of uh, not an oral tradition, but a memory tradition, Mm -hmm. that would therefore have a lot more weight to it. And therefore, I kind of can see why it is considered a sin, because, of course, you are taking someone's memories, which could be immortalized forever, which most of them aren't because we already lost most of the memories in the previous seasons. But hey, right. at least conceptually. I understand why it would be a sin. I just maintain that hurting the actual person is worse than hurting the memory of the person, even if it is a kind of immortality. I can't judge I'm not a Martian. Do you want to maintain those memories of pain and isolation? It was never preserving Malefic's memories because Malefic's memories were never in the hive or, and were never shared. Oh. This is just the memories of him right. in other people. So in that regards, it's even a smaller thing. Mm-hmm. That's not the biggest question that I actually had coming out of this, which was, wow, it is such an amazing sin to be removing these memories from Martians. 
John spent three seasons wiping things from people's brains all the time. Mm. We interpreted that as maybe they'll think that that's a violent act. And in the last season, they did kind of make reference to maybe John's mind manipulation is an act of violence. Mm -hmm. But that's nothing to the level that we're seeing it presented here as one of the greatest Martian sins. Right. And maybe doing it to humans doesn't really matter, but... Since they're not in on the hive mind. Yeah, yeah. but that still seems like quite the leap. It does seem very inconsistent. Yeah. But maybe that is a cultural thing. Like your mind, your memories were going to fade when you died anyway, so may not, just not have the same weight. Are we all just mayflies to Jean Jones? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that bothered me a little, but it's kind of explainable with some headcanoning. So back to Nia and Brainiac, if you don't mind. So Nia, after continually lying, finally gets up the courage to tell Brainy that he is too much. Unfortunately, instead of telling him earlier to moderate his his poems and food, now she is at the point where she just tells him to stop it, stop it all. She doesn't want any more food or poems from him. Or anything. Or anything. That was a little heavy. That was a little heavy. Um, I mean, I can understand why she wouldn't want him to find some other outlet to pester her with but <laughs> but in a way her fear of telling brainy the truth about how she feels turns out to be sort of justified because he doesn't just take this as a thing to change his behavior he says well that's how i am i'm always at a hundred percent he does say but that's my problem not yours but then he walks out. So yes, her fear of telling him is sort of justified in the fact that her telling him just leads him to walk out. Yeah, Brainy says, I can only operate at 100%. As Brainy sometimes comes off as a bit of a dude bro, this kind of comes off as, I don't have any control over my own actions, so I guess I'll just have to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an unfortunate response. I mean, it could be seen as manipulative behavior, uh, punishing her for criticizing him. Um, I talked to a fan who, who said something along those lines. I mean, I don't see why he couldn't moderate his behavior by multitasking, which he does. I mean, he says can't do anything but operate at 100%, but he very often multitasks and spends part of his attention doing one thing, part of it doing another. So I don't see why he couldn't find some way of dealing with it. And I don't know, maybe he could just turn himself into a 100% really good listener. <laughs> <laughs> but then he would never talk. <laughs> I don't know about the multitasking thing. On TNG, that did not work out well for Data. <laughs> but, but obviously, I think we're going to have to see some growth here. And I think actually we're going to see a growth. I don't think Brainy meant it as manipulation, of course. But yeah, it absolutely would come off as that from almost anyone else. And I, I think we will actually see Brainy have a bit of character growth and maybe learn a little more how to uh, interact with people that aren't him in this season. So I, I, I think we they will get over this, and maybe it'll therefore reduce some of this comedy relief that Brainy is being used for. Right. Well, I, I also like to see him being a good team member and stuff, um, not just, as you say, as comic relief or even as relationship relief. But yeah, I don't see this... It may feel permanent to Nia at the moment, but I don't see it as a permanent break. I'm sure they will figure out 
some way to get them back together. One of the scenes with them when they wake up and the room is dark, and I just did find it absolutely funny that Brainy, with all of his high-tech powers, uses a clapper to turn on the light. <laughs> and maybe it's Nia's house, but still the idea of it made me burst out in laughter. I mean, you'd think he would want it to be a smart house that he could just, you know, send a mental wave out and have the lights come on. A clapper does the job. <laughs> <laughs> it does do the job. <laughs> But yeah, I, I laughed when he did that too. Unfortunately, the scene then also continues to him pulling out not just paper with the poem written on, but in fact a scroll which had written on it an ode to Neonal's left earlobe. And really it was the scroll that I thought was just a bit too much. <laughs> I did kind of feel for her when it's like, huh, she got a text alert or an email alert or whatever uh, when she was at work. And I was like, oh, he sent me another one. He's sending me a poem every hour uh, on the hour. An ode to a different body part. Yes. <laughs> and while I do enjoy the Villanelle form, it is not... A poem designed for brevity. <laughs> so I'm having a little trouble figuring out how it would come through with that many things about the left earlobe. I don't know. Maybe he goes on from there to philosophy or flights of fancy or something. <laughs> I would not take on Brainy in a poetry slam. Oh, no. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Oh, yes. One more thing. James, this episode. So he decides to help Kara investigate a crime story to give himself a mental break from worrying about which job offers he should take, i.e. running for Senate or, what was it, director of the Smithsonian or other offers we may not have heard about yet. But anyway, he, he does some crime stuff, then he does some Guardian stuff, and then finally he goes away with Kelly on her hideaway because she is the most important thing to him. And that is sweet, but it's also another way to figure out what to do with James when they're not doing anything with James. The most important line here, of course, is James said to Kara that he'd join her to be her super friend to solve the murder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On the nose, the show knows how to do. Indeed, indeed. That was a sweet little line, huh? <laughs> there were rumors, I don't know if it's known, that James is leaving the series. Mm. So I expect that they're going to hold off James making a decision until James is gone. Okay. That's why I think he's now in kind of a limbo before making that decision. So we're just going to see James being able to interact with the plot up until the point where he's not, because I expect whatever his new job is going to be, it's not going to be as a regular on the show. Right. Oh, one other important line from James this episode was where he had shown up as Guardian to help Kara or Supergirl fight the Spider Lady. And then later when he's lying in the medbay bed, DEO, he tells Kara, well, I had to help you. That's what friends do, no matter what. And she takes that as a sign that she should go steal the stuff from the government lab for Lena, which, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not the kind of friend she should have been. He doesn't really have the context for what he's saying there. But on that point, shall we discuss briefly the baddie of the week? Sure. So there's a former Special Forces soldier who somehow, I don't think it's explained how, came in contact with 
an alien tattoo. Tattoo, yes, that is actually a spider that can help her to shoot webs. It can move from her to other people, or maybe it's reproducing somehow, uh, creating clones of itself. I think it can spread. I don't know. So I don't know if there was any of Carolyn, the special forces woman, left, or if it was all just spider stuff, and if she accepted this thing from whoever, Leviathan or whatever, or if it just attacked her. It, well, she's acting as a mercenary, we think, to do these assassinations, so maybe not a part of Leviathan, but it's all kind of murky as to is it still any of her left there at all, and she's just using the spider as a sort of superpower, or if it's just the alien spider being a mercenary for reasons of its own. It does have a slight venomness to it. Mm-hmm as baddies go, in that she can, in fact, sling spider webs and seems to be relatively tough in that she at least holds out against uh, Supergirl briefly. Mm -hmm. So, So there's a little venomous to it. I didn't get the impression that the spider tattoo is symbiotic or my, has a control of her mind. I think O'Connor is still in control, but there might be a bit of a symbiosis there. I would think that she got the tattoo via Leviathan and she was being paid by Leviathan. Maybe she didn't know that, but she obviously knew something because as soon as she was captured, she was killed by an even scarier assassin. Right, this smoky shadow that came out of nowhere and quickly killed her and then disappeared. So I would think that's Leviathan covering its tracks. Uh, you could ask, if you have that cool of a assassin, why bother with the less cool assassin? <laughs> Indeed. But maybe you need layers of assassin, like it's a pyramid scheme of assassins. <laughs> or maybe this is very energy intensive, and most of the time it's us- easier to use a lesser tool. And maybe it's safer to use a lesser tool. So you, you have different levels of assassins for different levels of killing. Mm-hmm. But clearly... If that's Leviathan, they also must have known what was going on during that attack uh, and during that fight. So there's a degree of knowledge that uh, Leviathan must have, too. It asks a lot more questions as the show has done this episode. Indeed. One thing I really quite liked in this little plot is this show has finally done something that it has never done before, which is they break into the bar's security cameras, which has shots that were what was happening in the previous scenes, but they didn't just use the footage of the previous scenes. So when they were filming the previous scenes, they had another camera at a higher angle <laughs> to capture the security footage of the actions. And it's, they still don't make any sense because they're only like looking at one table. Right. But it wasn't the same footage as earlier in the, in the episode. And that was much improved from previous. I was very happy to see that. So I think that's all I had to say about Supergirl this week. Do you have any other points you want to discuss? I was a little shocked just how easy it was for Kara to break into Fort Summit. She like flew past the cameras and spun them around. (laughs) She looked around with her x-ray and the only box that her x-ray penetrated was the one that had the things she was looking for. Yeah. It kind of felt like a video game where the things you can interact with glow. (laughs) I suppose they just didn't have a lot of time. And this is one of those scenes which feels 
very rushed. They just really needed to make that happen really quickly, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. They almost shouldn't have filmed it at all. Yeah, they should have just had had Kara show up with the box or whatever. I think that would have played better for me. Mm-hmm. In the fight with the spider tattoo woman, Kara does give the line, you are really starting to bug me. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a bad pun or not, but I'm pretty sure it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was pretty horrifying. <laughs> Uh, there were other slight things that seemed super rushed, like with Malefic and Kelly, they had the reset of his brain happen, but clearly the reset of the brain was only going to happen after like pushing it to 80 biohertz, and they just brushed over that entirely, and it was just as soon as the machine was turned on, his brain was reset, and, and that also seemed super rushed. We have no idea quite why that also allowed... Kelly to be able to see Malefic even if he's transformed, but um, I'm sure that plot device is going to come back because it makes Kelly both a target but also a very good tool for hunting Malefic. Uh, so I'm sure we'll see more of that. Okay, well, I guess that about does it for this episode. We will continue to watch and see what unfolds from all these new questions that have been raised. I I think the season definitely has decided that there's ongoing plots and character points, and they're also going to just sprinkle in the baddie of the week, Mm -hmm. but only barely. Right. The the baddie of the weeks at this point is so thin Mm -hmm. that I'm almost not sure why they bother. Uh, Maybe it's just part of the structure of the show. They really want it to maintain that. But it's almost funny how inconsequential the baddies of the week have been so far. Right. Because they have so much else to do. (laughs) I'm almost going to be interesting to see how many episodes don't have baddies of the week or or whether they're going to keep on doing these super light baddies. Yeah. (laughs) But we'll see how the season goes. Right. In other superhero news, I have watched a couple more episodes of Batwoman uh, through episode three. I was hoping that after the first and second episodes, which were, to me, kind of a two-parter, were done, that the show would have room to breathe and maybe do a little more. But so far, it's a show about a lone wolf, and there's no humor in it and the other characters are pretty flat although there are hints that there's more going on with some of them and I just don't care and with so much else going on I think I'm gonna cross that one off my list. I'm leaning in the same way it has been just kind of boring. The only character I really like is the stepsister Mm -hmm. and she doesn't quite have enough to hold the show. Kate's interesting too, but everything she interacts with is just kind of boring. The economy of characters is being super damaging. Yes. Because they basically need this small cast to fill every role in every story. And I just don't know if there's enough there. I almost wonder if they should have just made a four-part miniseries and just had that it and then had that contain the entire plot. I'm concerned about what they're going to try and fill the rest of these stories with. And maybe it will evolve into a better show, and maybe I'll reconsider it at that point. Right. Well, Legends of Tomorrow started out as kind of a hot mess, and it got a lot better. In fact, I, I really enjoy, you know, the later seasons of it. But they have a lot to work with there. And, you know, it made sense for that show to keep evolving and showing new things. Here, I'm not sure how much they can expand the focus beyond Batwoman, Kate Kane, without just losing coherence completely. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. I think I'll stop watching for now, and if it suddenly gets better in season two or whatever, maybe I'll come back. One show that uh, 
I keep tooting the horn for Black Lightning, but, you know, that's a show where the tight initial focus has really expanded and they've done it really well. There are lots of conspiracy theories going on and, and many of those theories turn out to be justified later. And uh, references to history, uh, interesting depictions of things like Black people being used as test subjects and uh, the social implications and people being aware of that and protesting. There's just, it's a really interesting mix of comic book superhero stuff with real world issues. And so I'm not sure how easy it would be to jump into the third season without having seen the first and second seasons. But Very challenging. <laughs> it would be challenging. Every season has gotten better also. Mm -hmm. It feels, versus the other Berlantiverse CW shows, so much more based and connected in reality. Without being entirely more gritty, though it does certainly have a bit more violence to it. The show does an amazing job. Yes, it does. For anyone who can find a way to watch the old seasons and catch up, I recommend it. If you want to try jumping in, go for it. <laughs> Good luck. I think, you know, at least the major plot lines would be pretty clear pretty quickly, even if you wouldn't understand the reasons for everyone who was doing everything. But I am baffled as to how they're going to work that into the crossover, though. It is hard to imagine. I expect... Like all the other crossovers, they'll ignore everything they don't care about. But boy, they're going to have to ignore a lot. <laughs> that's right. Okay, anything else you want to discuss today? Uh, that's it for me. Okay. Well, thanks again for another great conversation, David. Happy to be here. And uh, I'd like to thank The Incomparable for hosting us. And I'd like to thank our listeners. If you'd like to continue the conversation with us, please add us on Twitter at... SG Supercast, uh, and we are on the Incomparable uh, Members Slack channel. You can talk with us probably on the TV channel there, and we'll be talking to you later. Bye-bye.